This evening, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 17. And when I think about the book of Joshua, I think about the whole focus is on victorious Christian living. And so hopefully tonight as we go through this chapter, we'll get some insight on what God desires of us. And if you've read, you know, the previous chapters of Joshua, you've seen that there's some dangers out there. And one of the problems for the children of Israel is that they didn't drive out the enemy completely. They left some of them in the land. And in the end, it was a thorn in their flesh. And what they did was the Gentiles taught the children of Israel their ways, which led to the judgment of God and their captivity ultimately. And so we ha- even today we have to fight that good fight of faith, crucify the flesh, and we need to let the Lord destroy those areas in our life that are holding us back, that are compromising our faith. And this was a powerful example of what can happen when you don't deal with the enemies of faith. When you don't drive them out, you're going to pay for it. And as long as we're in these bodies of flesh, guys, we're going to have to deal with the flesh nature. And you know that every morning when you get up, right? You have to deal with it because it's there with you. And the battle continues on. And I realize we can get tired, we may not want to fight anymore, we may be tired of fighting, but we have to continue on in the battle. I think that was one of the problems for the children of Israel. They've been fighting for years now. They're tired, they just wanted to relax. What's a few enemies? And again, it ended up being a thorn in their flesh. They didn't drive out the enemy completely. Now, We as Christians, and especially in the days we're living in, have to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we can then see the salvation that he's going to bring to the situations that we face, the battles we're facing. He's going to give us the victory, but we have to take those steps of faith as well. Now, tonight we're going to look at another danger to our spiritual lives, and really, if you think about it, to our physical lives as well. And that's complaining. And I've called this study very simply the danger of complaining. Now, it was funny because when I told everyone in the back room what we're going to be studying tonight, they started complaining. (laughs) Go figure. I said, there's the example, right? Isn't it easy to start complaining? I mean, think of all the things that are going on in the world. It's very easy to get in that mindset, especially if you're around other people that are complaining. It's easy just to join in. Some of you, and I guess for me, may remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. You know, that little donkey from Winnie the Pooh. And he complained all the time. And this is what we're told of him. Eeyore, that old gray donkey, stood by the side of the stream and looked at himself in the water. Pathetic, he said. That's what it is, pathetic. He turned and walked slowly down the stream for 20 yards, splashed across it, and walked slowly back on the other side. Then he looked at himself in the water again. As I thought, he said, no better from this side, but nobody minds and nobody cares. Pathetic, that's what it is. And there was a crackling noise in the bracken behind him, and out came Pooh. Good morning, Eeyore, said Pooh. Good morning, Pooh Bear, said Eeyore very gloomily. If it is a good morning, he said, which I doubt. Why, what's the matter? Nothing, Pooh Bear, nothing. We can't all, and for some of us, don't. That's all there is to it. Can't all what, said Pooh, rubbing his nose. Gaiety, song and dance, here we go around the mulberry bush. I'm not complaining, but there it is. 
I'm not complaining. Yeah, that's pretty much all he did. And it is funny, but, you know, think about us. And again, how easy it is to complain about different things. And it can become a pattern of our lives. And there's a danger to that. Um, One article said this, repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find it easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's happening around you. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. And here's the kicker. Complaining damages other areas of your brain as well. Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining shrinks the hippocampus, an area of the brain that's critical to problem-solving and intelligent thought. Damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that it's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's. Well, it's not an exaggeration to say that complaining leads to brain damage. It doesn't stop there. When you complain, your body releases the stress hormone cortisol. Cortisol shifts you into fight-or-flight mode, directing oxygen, blood, and energy away from everything but the systems that are essential to immediate survival. One effect of cortisol, for example, is to raise your blood pressure and blood sugar so that you'll be prepared to either escape or defend yourself. All the extra cortisol released by frequent complaining impairs your immune system and makes you more susceptible to high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. It even makes the brain more vulnerable to strokes. Now, those are the physical aspects. And I'm not going to deal a whole lot with that. We've, I kind of covered that here. But there's also a danger to our spiritual lives, our spiritual health as we complain. Complaining is not a gift of the spirit. I checked it out. Believe me, I looked. I, I couldn't find it. I also looked for sarcasm, and I couldn't find that either. My wife is probably thankful for that. But here's the thing. If we're complaining about our wife or the, our husband, the kids, our job, the traffic, the lines in the store, the work that needs to be done at home, even the work that you have to do at church, what are you saying to God? We need to think about that. If God is in control of our life, if he knows everything that we're going through, when we are complaining about what's going on, who are we complaining against? Oh, God, that's right. And this is something that the Lord has been dealing with me, um, you know, this complaining, because it's so easy to do and easy to lose focus. And before long, all you end up is complain about this, complain about that. And, you know, what kind of witness is that to other people? It's a horrible witness. And so what we're going to do this evening, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of some of the verses here in um, Joshua chapter 17, and then we're going to focus on the verses we're going to be studying tonight. And I've kind of broken the verses we're going to be looking at specifically like this, and I'll go over these again. Complaining, they thought too highly of themselves in Joshua 17, 14. Show yourself strong, do the work instead of complaining, Joshua 17, 15. The work is too much for us to do, Joshua 17, 6. And then the encouragement to walk by faith in Joshua 17, verses 17 and 18. So with that as our introduction, we're going to pick up reading in Joshua chapter 17, verse 1. And again, I'm going to do an overview here um, of this. I'm not going to read all these verses. And keep in mind that all these, the events here are taking place after the major battles are done. 
they're over with. The land's being divided up to the children of Israel, and they're going to have to now defeat these little pockets of resistance that are throughout the land. They didn't defeat everyone, but there's pockets of resistance that have to be dealt with. And in verses 1 through 11, we see the land being divided up. And the land area is given to half the tribe of Manasseh, the other son of Joseph. The other half tribe of Manasseh remained on the east side of the Jordan River outside the promised land. But for the other half, this tribe of Manasseh, or this half of Manasseh, they entered the promised land, and there was a land allotted to them in the area of Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, It was kind of in the heart of the land, north of Ephraim, with the Jordan River as its boundary to the east. Also in these verses, we see the daughters of Zelophad get their allotment of the land. The land usually went to men, but because Zelophad had no sons, his daughters brought their request before Moses. And Moses said, hey, when we get into the land, we're going to give you an allotment uh, so this land can be passed on to future generations. And so that's what we see going on in those first 11 verses of Joshua chapter 17. Look at what we're told in verse 12. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they but did not utterly drive them out. Again, they couldn't drive out the Canaanites. They put them into forced labor. And it's interesting because God keeps repeating this. We should not have a peaceful coexistence with our enemies, the flesh. The flesh has to be crucified, just like this enemy had to be crucified. But it was not. And again, maybe they were tired of fighting. They just thought, hey, we're in charge of them. They're serving us. What's the big deal? What harm can it bring? I've got this under control, and they didn't. And many times we feel the same way. Now, again, verses 14 through 18 are what we're going to focus on this evening, this danger of complaining. And I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll break them down. We're told this starting in verse 14. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit, since we are a great people? inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Shean and its towns, and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people, and have great power. You shall not have one lot only, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Now, when you look at these two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were, a lot, they were very large. Their combined, combined numbers were greater than any other single tribe, and they're complaining that they, haven't had, they don't have all the land that was allotted to them. And they're complaining to Joshua. And again, look at verse 14, our first point, complaining they thought too highly of themselves. 
Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So they're complaining to who? To Joshua, the leader. Why? Because they saw themselves as great, man. Look at us. They weren't satisfied with what the Lord had given to them. And think about what they're saying. Come on, Joshua, are you really kidding me here? We're not some small tribe, insignificant tribe. We're descendants of Joseph, the one who spared the children of Jacob. Don't you remember that? We're a great people, and you give us just one portion of the land? Come on, man, get real. And of course, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's what they're saying. They're complaining against Joshua, but really, who are they complaining to? They're complaining about God and the land that he has given them because it's the Lord that gave Joshua the land, told him how to divide it. Now, we don't tend to think of it that way, but that is the reality. The Greek word translated complainer means literally one who is discontent with his lot in life, a grumbler. Wow. You know, when we think of it like that, it doesn't sound too good. Discontented with his lot in life. Why is that a problem? Well, think about it. Isn't God giving us our lot in life? Isn't he in control of our lives? So if we're complaining about all the things we don't have and all the things that we want and all this and that, we're saying to God, God, I don't like what you've given me. See, I don't think we think of it like that. But that's the reality. I think we need to have a correct perspective here. Lord, you're in control. I trust what you're doing. I don't always understand it, but I'm trusting you on this one. Because if we don't, we're just going to complain and complain and complain. And really, we're complaining about what God has done in our lives. We're blaming him for all the things that are going on in our lives or all the things that we don't have. Now, can we bring our complaints to God? Yeah, you can, but leave them there. Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I'm giving this into your hands. Help me to understand this. Help me to deal with this. There's nothing wrong with that because he hears our hearts cry. But when you're complaining and complaining and complaining, that's not what we're to do. There was uh, this lady who entered a department store, little old lady, and she was startled when she walked in. All of a sudden, the band began to play and This dignified executive came by, pinned an orchid on her dress, and handed her a crisp $100 bill. She was the store's millionth customer. Wow. Television cameras were there, and reporters began interviewing her, and they said, tell me, one asked, just what did you come here for today? Well, she kind of hesitated for a minute and then said, I'm on my way to the complaint department. Yeah, you know, you probably better not to say anything, right? But think about it. God has given us so much. Have you ever thought about what God has given to us? He's given us eternal life with him. We don't deserve it. We deserve eternity apart from him. But he's given us everlasting life from him. Is there anything else we need? No, absolutely not. There's really nothing else we need. But how much more does he give us? And I think sometimes we forget uh, the good that God is doing in our lives. I mean, think about the news today. The news today is just to make you angry, mad, to, you know, 
get you to come back and watch more. I don't know why we do, but we do. But isn't there any good things going on in the world? Isn't there like something good that's going on? I think it was last week, uh, weekend, was up in uh, Door County with my wife. She surprised me for my birthday, and we, she had uh, got a hotel book there, and she put me in a running race. I love the race, and uh, there were thousands of runners in this race. But my wife has had hip surgery, hip replacement, knee replacement. Now she's getting her other knee replaced, so she's having problems with that knee. And it's really hard for her to walk. And so she's was a trooper. She walked, We had to walk so far to get to the area where I was running. And so we're trying to get back on the bus to shuttle us back to the car. And there was a group of people behind us. And my wife was having a hard time getting up into the bus. I'm thinking, oh man, I know these people. They're just going to start getting mad and start. Argh. And you know what? They didn't. They were the kindest people I've ever seen. They're like, Step, they were telling the little kids, step back, let her get on the bus, and then we'll get on. And when it's time to get off, the, you, know, you know how kids are. They're the first ones off the bus. The one kid in front of my wife jumped up to get out, and the mother said, nope, come back over here. Let her get down first. I thought, wow, there are good people out there. Sometimes we focus so much on the bad that we miss what God is doing. And here... They were thinking too highly of themselves. And maybe that's what we do sometimes when we're always complaining. Why is this happening to me? You know, I love the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. So-and-so doesn't have any of these problems. I'm involved in so many ministries. I'm doing this, doing this. How could this happen to me? Here's the thing. We're bond slaves of Jesus Christ. We deserve absolutely nothing. And if we looked at our life like that, we'd realize that, yes, we deserve nothing, but again, Christ has given us so much. Spurgeon said, you say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. He nailed that. He also wrote, a man's contentment is in his mind, not in the extent of his possessions, Alexander the Great, with all the world at his feet, cries for another world to conquer. How true. The problem complaining, they thought too highly of themselves. And so the children of Joseph here, again, have this problem. And look at what Joshua tells them. It's really the solution to the problem. Look at verse 15. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. Notice what Joshua is doing here. He didn't tell them, you know, you guys are a bunch of losers, you're lazy, you're proud, unthankful. No, he didn't say that. He said, show yourself strong. Do the work instead of complaining. You're a great people, go do it. The solution to complaining is working. Why is that? Because you don't have time to complain when you're working. (laughs) You're too busy. You're just actively involved. The focus then is taken off our own lives, and it's focused on ministering to others because we're serving. And Joshua was basically saying, okay, you see yourselves as a great people. Then here's your opportunity to prove it. 
Here's the land that God's given you. Go take it. Do what Caleb did and defeat the giants in the land and claim the mountains. And Caleb, I love Caleb. You know, after the major victories were won, Joshua asks Caleb, what do you want? What land do you want? He's 80 years old, right? What do you think? I know what I would say. Give me beachfront property, some palm trees and stuff, and I just want to kick back. I'm 80 years old, man. I, I just want to take it easy. No, you know what he says? You see those giants over there? Give me their land. The guy's 80 years old. He's going to go fight giants. Yeah, because he wasn't doing it in the power of his might. He was doing it in the power of God. And he knew God wanted to give him the victory, and so he walked by faith. And for these sons of Joseph, they wanted the easy way out. They wanted, the, in a sense, the bigger ministry, you might say. They wanted all the attention. They just didn't want to do the work. They didn't take the land that God had given them, and yet they wanted even more. And that's not how it works. You have to walk one step at a time, and as we walk, God will give us more land, you might say, more areas for us to serve in. And the principle applies just as strongly for us today. Before we ask God for more, let's be faithful to the responsibilities that he's already given us. Alan Redpath put it like this. He said, stop crying for greater opportunities until you have done the work in the place that God has allotted to you. Is your home sweeter and lovelier and more radiant because you are a Christian? If not, drive out the enemy there first. For if we fail in the small portion allotted to us, God can never trust us with the greater. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. Are you really going to sail across the ocean to be a missionary in some foreign country when you're not even witnessing in your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, and so on? No. And so, you know, as we complain about our spouse, our job, our ministry, our health, our finances, or whatever, understand that God has given us these things or has allowed these things into our lives. And when we're complaining again, we're complaining against what he's doing in our lives. I'm not saying it's easy or that you're, it's, it's, you know, don't suffer at all as you're going through these difficult times. Not at all. But when we realize God is orchestrating things that happen in our lives, it should bring us great comfort and peace. Again, I don't always get it. I don't always understand it. But I trust who God is. I know that he loves me more than anyone could ever love me. He loves you more than you will ever know. And so you have to rest in that. And God is using the things that happen in our lives for good. Then what's the problem? The problem's always me, right? I'm not seeing things like I should. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm not walking by faith. I'm not trusting in the Lord. I'm complaining about what's happening. I'll give you an example. In Numbers chapter 21, the children of Israel are making their way to the land of Canaan. And they're not there yet. And we see in the southern part of the land, the king of Arad hears of the children of Israel and what they're doing. And he comes out to fight against them. And he takes some prisoner with him. And instead of complaining, they bring this to the Lord. And the Lord gives them this victory over this enemy. They utterly destroyed the city. So much so, so that they called it horma or destruction. They walked by faith, not by sight. They trusted in the Lord. They're learning faith lessons. 
But then there's the problem. And was God aware of the problem they were going through? Yeah. God wanted them to go back in the wilderness. And they weren't happy about it. But God was directing them. And they began to complain. And it led to questioning God's ability to lead them because the journey was long, it was difficult. And from there, their questioning of God's guidance led to complaining about God's goodness. In Numbers 21, verses 4 and 5, we're told this. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now think about it. God just got done giving them this great victory over the king of Arad. And now they're in the wilderness, and they're like, you brought us up here to die. What are you doing? Did God know what he was doing? He absolutely knew what he was doing. He's God. But they're questioning the goodness of God. That God is seeing them on this journey. And because of their complaining and questioning God's ability to lead them, God brought judgment upon them. In Numbers 21.6, it says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. These fiery serpents came upon them. And I believe when it, the, when it says fiery uh, serpents, it means that when these serpents bit them, there was intense pain. And many of the people, children of Israel, died. How do you see God give you a great victory one minute and the next minute complain? I do it all the time. <laughs> I don't know about you. I see God working somewhere, doing something. Oh, man, God, you are so awesome. And then something happens over here. Like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? God, I don't get this. I don't know what's going on. Don't you remember what I did over here, Joe? Don't you think I can help you out over here, too? You see how easy it is to lose sight of what God is doing. That's exactly what was happening here. And then we begin questioning the goodness of God, right? It may go something like this, you know, God, if you really love me, you wouldn't allow me to go through this. I deserve so much more than this mess. I'm a good person. I love you, and now you give me this? I look at others, and I see all the blessings they're getting. What about me? If you're really a good and loving God, would you allow this in my life? Wow. But we can get to that point. And here's the thing, either he is God over all your life or he's not God at all in your life, right? You've taken him out of the picture. I'm not saying you've, you lost your salvation, but what I'm saying, you lost that intimacy with God because of complaining instead of being thankful for all he's done and is doing and will do in your life. That's the incredible thing. I wonder what God is going to do next. I wonder how he's going to deal with this situation. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what he's trying to do in me. Because I know everything I'm going through, God is trying to show me something. He's trying to teach me lessons of faith. Many of you know Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. Do all things without complaining and disputing. How many of you have that in your Bibles? Darn it. I was hoping 
it was edited out. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. All things without complaining. Wow. Why? Because we live in a very crooked and perverse world, don't we? Look at what this world is like. But we're not like this world. We're not of this world. We're different. And so the world can complain and complain all they want. But complaints don't get the work done. We serve the Lord. Instead of complaining, we serve. How important that is. In Deuteronomy 1, verses 26 through 27, as Moses is reviewing the history of the nation of Israel, speaking about the refusal to enter the promised land, this is what we're told. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Isn't that interesting? Moses says, hey, God hears you in your tents. You're not speaking in public about this, maybe. But in your homes, you're complaining about God and what he's doing. You're complaining about the situations he has you in. And we do the same today. We're complaining, disputing against God. And then what ends up happening is we start complaining and disputing with each other because our relationship with God is not right and it outwardly then affects our relationships with other people. If we're struggling with people, we need to check our relationship with God. I know 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 and 18, difficult verses. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Think about that. People always say, what's the will of God for my life? To read 1 Thessalonians 5, there it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you. This is how we are to live out our lives. Now, how can we rejoice always? Well, Our Christians, as Christians, our joy is not based in the outward circumstances, but in the Lord, and he never changes. Now, I'm not saying, hey, you know, when a loved one gets sick or there's tragedy in the family or you lose the job, you don't go, oh, praise the Lord. That's ridiculous. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is out of those situations, we can rejoice because God is working. I don't get it, like I said, all the time. But I know that God is working. I know that there's going to be good that comes out of it. Remember Habakkuk. Habakkuk wanted to know, God, what is happening? I don't understand this. What's going on? And God says, you're not going to believe what's going on. And Habakkuk says, just tell me. God says, well, the Babylonians are going to come in and take you captive. Southern king of Judah is going into captivity. I don't believe it. God said, I told you. Not really, but... That's the idea. And when you get towards the end of Habakkuk in chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, I want you to know, I want you to see the perspective that Habakkuk has in this very disheartening situation. He says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, 
nor fruit beyond the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I mean, that's horrible, right? I mean, you have nothing. Everything is taken away. You've got nothing. And what does he say next? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Wow. You see, his focus was not on what he didn't have and the difficulty he was facing, but his focus was on the Lord, and he could rejoice in the Lord, knowing somehow, some way, the Lord was going to see him through this situation. Again, how do we give thanks always? How do we give thanks in everything? Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the only way, guys. I don't feel it. I don't see it all the time. But I know that all things work together for good. How? Because God has said it in his word, Romans eight twenty eight. And people go, oh, you know, you're going to go to that verse again. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> because sometimes I don't see all things working together for good. Sometimes I don't feel that all things are going to work out for good, but I can know that they will because God has said it in his word and I trust in him and thus I can rejoice always. I can give thanks to God in everything because he has a plan for my life. He has a plan for your life. And Psalm 100, I love this. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, O you land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Notice what he says here. Serve the Lord with gloominess. Oh, no, he doesn't say that, does he? No. Serve the Lord with gladness. And if you can't serve the Lord with gladness, don't serve him. Because what, is, what are you manifesting to other people about your service to the Lord? Oh, I got to do another sermon today. Whatever, you know? Hey, I... T- when Dwight called me and said, hey, could you do this study on, on Wednesday? Absolutely. Any opportunity I get to be able to share God's word? Yeah, absolutely. I, I get excited about it. Because God is teaching me again as I go through his word. You think this is all for you. It is for me. You just get to listen in on it. But think about it. What if we change some of these words here in Psalm 100? Listen to how this might sound if we're just complaining. Make a loud complaint to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gloominess. Come before his presence with complaining. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with unthankfulness and into his courts with complaints. 
Be unthankful to him and put down his name. For the Lord is not nice, his mercy is short-lived, and his truth endures to some, but not to me. Again, that's not at all what the psalm is saying, but when we start complaining, that's sometimes the way we sound. God wants us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, to be thankful to him and bless his name. Anytime you get to serve, minister to anyone, we should do so with joy because God has allowed us an opportunity to minister to people. And the best way to enter into the Lord's presence is by thanking him for what he's done and praising him for who he is. His mercy is everlasting, the psalmist said. Aren't you glad that his mercy is everlasting? I am. His truth endures to all generations. Thanks, Thank you so much, Lord. So what God has said in his word is for us today, just as it was for the people when this was written. And so there's not a lot of room for me to complain when I see all that God is doing in my life. How he's using the situations that he has me in for his good. So instead of complaining, show yourself strong. Do the work instead of complaining. But again, things can seem overwhelming to us. And that's what we're going to look at next. The work is too much for us. Look at verse 16 here in Joshua chapter 17. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Sheen and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. Remember in verse 15, Joshua tried to encourage them in the work and taking the land that God had given them. But when they looked at the task that was before them, it was overwhelming. Giants in the land. They had chariots. Chariots were like our tanks of today. They were really strong weapons of war. And so if you had that, that was a definite advantage. And so it was too much for them. Maybe they were just tired of fighting. And they didn't want to deal with it. Have you ever felt that way before? God has told you he wants you to do something. And maybe you're excited at first. And then the reality sets in, you know, what in the world am I thinking? I can't do that. And the reality is, you can't, I can't. If God has called us to do something, when we try to accomplish it in the power of our strength, we're going to fail. But when the Lord calls us to do something, he will empower us to do the work. You know, when the Lord called me to Wisconsin to be a pastor, I was confident, totally 100% confident that he told me, He was going to bring me to Wisconsin from Chicago one day. No doubt in my mind, none at all. And then it was 10, 11, 12 years down the road, still in Chicago, after the Lord told me that. My wife came home from a women's retreat in Indiana and said that there's a church in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, that was looking for a pastor. Their pastor had to step down. And she gave me the phone number of one of the elders to call. And at first, man, I was excited. I mean, can you imagine? This is the answer to prayer. This is so awesome. This is unbelievable. And then reality. Oh my gosh, what am I thinking? What am I going to do? I mean, I got to sell my house. I got to get a job. I got to buy a house up there. I don't know anybody up there. How am I going to do this? What happened? I'm complaining. God said, I'm going to bring you up to Wisconsin. 
and I wasn't trusting what he said. It was an eye problem. It's all me. Instead of looking to God. And I blocked him out of my life for, a f- really it was a few minutes there. It seemed like a lifetime. But once I focused back on the Lord, his calling in my life, it changed everything. And the rest is history. I mean, I've been up here for 26 years. Hard to believe. He's, what he promised he brought to pass, more than I could ever imagine. Make no mistake about it, the work is too much for us. It, that is the truth. It's too much for us, but not for God, who called us to do the work. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you get that? All things. Wow. You see, I, I look at things and go, I can't do that. God didn't say, Joe, I want you to do this. Good luck with it. He called me to do something. He's going to equip me to do it. I like the way the Amplified Bible puts Philippians 4.13. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Praise God for that. That's the reality. What we do for the Lord, the things he tells us to do, he will equip us to accomplish these things. And it doesn't matter if it's a huge task or a small task. We need his help to accomplish these things. And that really leads us to the last point, the encouragement to walk by faith. And we'll see how that's played out as we read on. Look at verses 17 and 18 here in Joshua chapter 17. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You have a great people and have, a great, and have great power. You shall not have one lot only. But the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. I love this. This is so awesome to me. The tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh were fearful. They didn't believe that they could gain this victory. They didn't believe that they could defeat the giants, especially these guys had chariots. And what does Joshua do? You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. He encourages them to take steps of faith. The encouragement to walk by faith. Have you ever been around someone who all of a sudden is just encouraging you to go forward? I mean, when I, after I first got saved back in Calvary Chapel Elk Grove uh, Village in Illinois, there was someone who came up to me and said, hey, Joe, do you and Julie want to oversee the nursery ministry? Sounded good to me. Sure, I'll do it. I had no idea what the nursery ministry was about. It's kind of a crazy ministry. But he encouraged me. Isn't that what Paul said in Hebrews? We are to gather together to stir up love and good works with each other. That's what we do. We encourage each other. I mean, I love it. My wife is a great encourager, and I pray that I encourage her as well. But there are times, believe it or not, I get down, and she is there always encouraging, just sharing something that 
you know, sometimes I don't like it because she's right, but she's right because that's what God has said. And I thank her so much for that. It's great to be around people that can encourage you. And you know what? The wonderful thing about our Lord is he always encourages us. He loves to do that. He not only calls us to a work, he not only equips us for what we're to do, but he encourages us to go forward, to walk by faith. Our Joshua encourages us, our Yeshua. I don't have, get this as much anymore, but early on in my ministry, before service, the devil loved to play mind games with me. And I'd be sitting there, and we're getting ready to, to uh, worship, and the devil would be like, that's the best study you have, really? You're going to share that with these people? Come on, get real. And I'm, I'm listening, I'm going, oh man, you know, what do I need to change? I'm trying to think about it, and I'm like, and all of a sudden, then we start worshiping. And you know what happens? My mind is now taken off of what the devil's trying to mess with me. And now I'm worshiping the Lord and my focus is on him. And I'm telling you what, by the time that last worship song is done, I'm ready to run up to that pulpit and give the message because I'm so excited what God has given to me. God encourages us. And I like that. Vacation Bible School, we've been doing it 10 years. We had to take the year off for the COVID thing, but we've been doing it for 10 years uh, now. And I was kind of uncomfortable. The Lord had put it upon my heart. People were coming up to me, we should do Vacation Bible School. And I really felt the Lord calling us to do this. But again, I was uncomfortable because I was not only going to have to teach all these kids in the opening and closing sessions but I was going to have to sing songs and do the hand motions now my wife you can talk to her afterwards I cannot clap and sing at the same time and when I clap it doesn't matter I'm always on the offbeat whatever that means what key do I sing in all of them I don't know I have no idea I just love to make a shoutful noise unto the Lord, right? And so I was very, very nervous. And Lord, do you really want me to do this? And he did. And I'm telling you, every year we are so blessed. The children are blessed. The workers are blessed because we're, by the time the last day is there and all these kids are jumping and doing the hand motions and singing the songs, praising God, it's so awesome. It's so awesome. I'm, I continue to learn when the Lord calls you to do something, he's going to equip you and encourage you and see you through it. He will accomplish what he wants. And you just have to walk by faith. You have to trust in him. And it may be very difficult, and you may not feel equipped at all to do it, but he will see you through if he's called you to do it. He encourages us. Remember Gideon? In Judges chapter 6, a very interesting man, a lot like me, I think, many times, uh, not a whole lot of confidence in himself. And in Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 18, I just want to read these to you and listen to the story of Gideon. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, 
If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. It's almost humorous that the Lord called Gideon, you mighty man of valor. He was trying to thresh the wheat in, by the wine press. You thresh the wheat up higher on the hill or mountain so you get the breeze. The wine press is down below. You don't get the big wind to blow the chaff away. He's hiding out from the Midianites. And the Lord says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And he's like, who are you talking to, me? Really? And he says, Gideon says, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. What is he doing? He's complaining. Lord, hey, where are all the miracles that you did? We're captive now to, in bondage to the Midianites. Where are all these miracles? And you want me to deliver the children of Israel? I'm a nobody. How can I do this? And that's sometimes how we see our lives. Lord, are you sure? I'm a nobody. How can I do something like that? And God called Gideon. He encouraged Gideon. And I truly believe with all my heart he does the same with us. We just have to listen and obey and walk by faith. What has the Lord put upon your heart? What has he called you to do? And maybe you kind of put it on the back burner. You know, just kind of afraid to take that step of faith. Maybe you're waiting for some big sign in the sky or some voice to call to you. But God speaks to us many times just through his word. And he speaks to us through circumstances or situations. And he makes it clear what we need to do. And I've seen it over and over again. You know, like I said, with Vacation Bible School, that was God speaking to me and opening that door But I had to walk by faith. I had to take those steps of faith. Same coming up here to Wisconsin. He opened the door, but I needed to walk by faith. And again, the wonderful thing about our God is that he is always encouraging us. He's always leading us. He's the good shepherd, right? And like the psalm says, sometimes he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through the valley of shadow of death, do you? I want to go to the mountaintop, man. I want to kick back green pastures. I want to just relax. But you know what? There's no growth up there, spiritual growth. It's down in the valley. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? That's where we grow. And as we go through, he takes us to the mountaintop where we can get refreshed to go back down to the valley of the shadow of death as he leads us. 
difficult times are times of growth in our lives. And all he wants us to do is take those steps of faith and he will see us through for his glory. You know, I don't care how weak you think you are. And that's a good thing to feel weak and, you know, insignificant. Because then you have to rely on God. And that's the best thing. If you think you can accomplish it on your own, look out. God will let you, but it's never going to be all that he wants. God has a perfect plan for each of our lives. And to be honest with you, I would have planned out my life a lot differently. There's a lot of things I would have edited out that were very painful, hurtful things. But it was through those painful, hurtful times that I grew the most. So I guess if I look back at my life and say, what would I want to change? Absolutely nothing. Because God used everything in my life for a reason, for a purpose. And I just have to trust in him. We're created for a purpose, to bring pleasure to God as we serve him. But we have to take those steps of faith. Psalm 90 verse 17 says, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, Look at what, this is a psalm that Moses wrote. and He's asking God to allow his beauty to be seen in him, in us, and to work through us. Lord, establish the work of our hands. Provide opportunities for me to minister especially in these days. I mean, I I think we're all in agreement that when you look at all the things that are happening in this world, the Lord could be back very soon. I don't think we've got, you know, 50 years here. I really don't. Why? Because I think we're with the whole artificial intelligence and um, merging the human brain into a machine so you could live forever is getting closer and closer to reality. And I don't think that's going to happen at all. Well, I guess I shouldn't say at all. I truly believe artificial intelligence and merging a human brain, a consciousness, into artificial intelligence could be the image of the beast that the false prophet gives breath to. Very likely that may be the only one that that happens to. Because Every person on this planet is going to have a free will to choose. But I think that whole artificial intelligence and merging um, a mind with a computer, I think you're going to lose that free will to choose. I do believe after you take the mark, a person takes the mark of the beast during the tribulation period, then your fate is sealed and you can't be saved. And that may be something that can control your mind, possibly. But during this time, people are hopeless, helpless, wondering what's going on. Lord, use my hands to minister to them, to show them that I care for them, that I love them, and I'm able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Lord, do something in my life that will touch the lives of people on earth and have a value in eternity. Wow. That should be our heart's desire. And 
Look at the points we've seen this evening. Complaining, they thought too highly of themselves. We can get into that. We're complaining, God, I deserve this. Come on, what's going on? No. Show yourself strong, do the work instead of complaining. Yeah, you're so busy serving. I don't have time to complain. And again, we can think the work is too much for us. And it is for us as individuals, but not for God working in us and through us. And then the encouragement to walk by faith that the Lord brings into our lives. He brings others across our path that also encourage us. And I'll close with this this evening. Writer wrote this. He said, my car broke down and it cost $400 to get it fixed. $400 that I did not have. Why me, Lord? After all, I've been as good as most people. In fact, I've been better than most. Why are you treating me this way? Why are you punishing me this way? Then the TV went on the blink, and so did the dishwasher and the clothes dryer and the lawnmower and even the iron. Why me, Lord? Besides that, why, at my age, should I still be having financial problems? Why am am I not set financially like some others I know? Why have you denied me opportunities for fame and fortune that you have given to others? Why me, Lord? When I found myself starting to think like this, it sometimes helps for me to ask the same questions about other aspects of my life. Lord, what have I done that's so grand that you should be, have blessed me with a car, a TV set, a clothes dryer, a lawnmower, and an iron? Why did you give me all these things anyway? Why me, Lord? Lord, why did you permit me to be born in America with all its plenty? I could have been born in poverty-stricken Bangladesh instead of in rich America. Why me, Lord? Lord, why did you give me the opportunity to have a job when so many who are deserving as I are without work? Why me, Lord? Lord, why did you give me good health? Others died at my age of heart attacks or are crippled by accidents or disease. Why should I escape ill health when other religious people do not? Why me, Lord? Lord, why have you spared me from the sorrows that strike so many other families? Others, wonderful people, have lost close relatives, but I haven't. Why me, Lord? When I think of all the ways the Lord has blessed me, though I don't deserve it, I wonder how I could possibly complain about the relatively insignificant things that go wrong in my life from time to time. If I could only learn to count my blessings. Oh, yeah, how true. If we could only learn to count our blessings and be thankful to God for all that he's giving us. Having hearts filled with thanksgiving to the Lord and see the work that the Lord has for us and then step out in faith and see what he's going to do, not only in us, but through us as we serve him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this evening and for these lessons because, and I can only speak for myself, it's easy to complain. But Lord, when I start complaining, I miss out on what you're trying to do in my life. I look, miss out on the blessings that you bestowed upon me. And I clouded over with complaining about this and complaining about that. Lord, help me to be so thankful, to rejoice in the work you're doing. Use my hands, my life, to bring glory and honor to you and to minister to people. And help me to have a thankful heart. Love you, Lord, so much. Help us in these areas, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.